and welcome to Your Property Podcast. Today is the 23rd of July, 2020. My name is Michelle Gens, your host for today. And with us, we have Jerome Roy. Hi, Jerome. Hi, Michelle. How are you today? Good, thank you. Welcome to the podcast. So, Jerome, you are Managing Director of Carrington Group, which specialises in land acquisition, amongst many things. But um, tell us a bit about yourself and, you know, your property journey. Have you always been in land acquisition or is it a... um, has it been in the family, for example? Tell us a bit of background. Okay, so um, I got myself into property by accident. I started as an office junior in a junior in a central London estate agent in 1994. That was back in the day where you would advertise a job in a newspaper and you'd respond to a newspaper advert. So office juniors were not allowed any freedom to show properties. I just did the photocopying and made the tea for a year. Then got a bit of experience and in 1997 set up my own agency, Carrington & Co. So I've kept the name Carrington throughout the journey. And that was in central London, Marylebone, Baker Street, Regent's Park. So 97 was the year that Tony Blair got in power. So it was a whole new wave of prosperity and uh, recovery in the economy, quite the opposite of what it's like at the moment. I set that up in 97, residential sales, lettings and property management. I grew that business through to 2006, where I exited to my Russian business partner and then moved into commercial property consultancy in the city, still in London. Then the last recession happened in 2008. I got made redundant within a day of Northern Rock and Lehman Brothers going to the wall and worked for a private equity company in Edinburgh. So I've moved around a lot, got a lot of experience. And eventually I was comfortable enough to know how to make money through development and planning game, circa 2014, which takes us up to the present day. Carrington Group is my company. Um, We acquire land without planning consent in a number of nationwide locations. We have expertise in getting property planning gain on sites that don't have planning. So what was it about this strategy that, I mean, I'm assuming it was the the profit elements to it, but obviously you've touched on lots of different areas of the property there, but you know, why did you decide this route? Okay, so money is always going to be a factor, no matter what someone tells you, right? (laughs) And I guess what we do is at the top of the tree in the sector. So when you're taking all the risk, you're in theory making all the profit, right? Right. It's a very technical element of property, getting planning permission, but experience teaches you how to do it. I find it very interesting. I find it very challenging, but very rewarding. So in order to take that amount of risk that most people wouldn't touch land, without planning um, unless they had an option to buy it or, or whatever the option structure, but you must have quite a strict criteria in order to consider sites like that. Sure. So that criteria has changed during the lockdown, which I think a lot of people's business strategies have. So, you know, brownfield sites are, are typically quick wins from a planning perspective because they're previously developed land. So you can normally get planning on those. Fields, so farmers' fields, grazing land, I've done those. They're very tricky. They're very expensive. They Mm. take a long time. They're very controversial. So, you know, previously developed land is where we're at at the moment. Because people would 
you know, might assume that it's actually not possible to do, to get planning on those sites. Um, you know, they've just steered clear of them because it's too much risk and too much hassle. But uh, are you, would you suggest that if you are picking the right site and you understand how to structure the, the planning application, then it's... Sure. I think it's that, it's that stuff about that you're only as good as your team. Right. So because we've been doing this a while, we only use the best people to advise us. Okay. Obviously, I have my own expertise and my own instinct, but we have the ability to pick the phone up to a number of, I call them blue chip advisors, whether it be an architect, planning consultant, flood risk expert, soil surveyor, tree surveyor, bat surveyor, who are all part of the network that I can tap into whenever I want. So my first port of call will be a planning consultant. This is a site we're interested in what do you think rather than me try and tell them how to do their business and does that planning consultant is that one of your own team or is that somebody local sure that would be someone someone external so i'm based in north manchester near berry so we have a wide network of planning consultants with expertise in different geographical locations because each location might require a different knowledge base Right. Okay. Um, so I'm imagining some people listening to this are thinking about a site that they might have had in mind, a site that they might have discarded for, you know, for these reasons, because they didn't think they could get planning. So um, is there any more criteria that you would consider in terms of a minimum size of plot? Or? Sure. Yeah. So for me, scale is very important because that's how you grow your business. I guess it's the same as when you've got a number of podcast listeners and you build your platform, right? It's exactly the same, except this is land and you're getting planning permission, which is more expensive to do. So we will only look at sites at a minimum of one acre in size. To give your listeners an idea, an acre is a football pitch, an adult-sized football pitch. So when I look at an acre, I, I can see how many units I can get because of my experience. So it's minimum one acre. Okay. Um, and is there a minimum uplift figure? Uh, what, you mean how much? The profit margin. To make? Yeah. Is it like t- traditionally the 25%? 20, yeah, I, I guess 20, 25%, but it depends if you're buying the land unconditionally or okay. conditionally. I'll just go into that very quickly, Michelle, if that's okay. Just to, just to explain to people just starting out on the journey what that is. So unconditional is when there is no conditionality in the contract that you're buying from the owner with, you just buy the site. So you need to be sure of your facts. Otherwise you could be left with a piece of land and end up becoming a farmer. (laughs) Okay. So you will buy that with cash. It's very difficult to get funding, particularly post COVID on sites without planning the funding thing. That's a whole different topic. Or you look at a conditional deal where you've agreed a contract with a landowner and it's subject to getting planning for a specific scheme, Mm -hmm. which mitigates your risk, but you've still got to be sure what you're doing. Then there's option agreements and promote agreements, but I think conditional and unconditional is the most simplified way of looking at it. If it's unconditional, we have to factor in more of a margin because you are taking all the risk. You're buying it and you've got to deal with it on the day you buy it. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And um, so what ways do you look, is, do you have certain criteria for maximizing the site 
you know, do you always go for a certain type of um, project or is it much dependent on what the local council needs? Sure. Okay. So I think that we only need to look at what's going on right now post COVID. Okay. Because, because it's all changed and it's changed for us as well. So the way we look at a site and what we can get on it has changed literally overnight. Okay. So just to give us an idea, could you just give us an idea of what yeah. it was before? And yeah, so about? you know, typically it'd be a site that I could get residential housing or flats on. So okay. we're talking open market properties that you build, where you're selling them on the open market and trying to maximise the value of each dwelling. Where it's changed for a lot of developers, including ourselves, is. Do you want to take that risk and be left with a development site where you can't sell 25 flats because we're in a recession, right? Yeah. No, no is the answer yeah. to that. And there's a lot of different ways of looking at a site now, whether it be supported living, whether it be a housing association. The margins will be lower, but the risk is less. Mm-hmm. So you've got to just weigh, weigh up your risk. You've got to mitigate risk in this market because I believe we're in for a bit of a, a tough ride. Yeah, that makes sense. So while we're here on that, is there any other things that you are planning on changing or you have changed? Anything we've not mentioned sort of going forward that's going to change your strategy um, or the way you purchase? Well, going after sites that I know I can get planning on for sure is a strategy, whereas four months ago it was... I'd look at something that might take three years. Okay. So when I say short term in what we do, I'm not referring to someone getting a two or three story extension on their house. That's a much quicker play, right? This is a professional property planning game. So short term in my world is anything that's two years or less. So I'm only looking at short term wins at the moment where I know that I can identify who I want to buy the site when we get planning as well. Okay. Yeah, Identifying that as early as possible. So once again, you're not stuck with a site with a planning consent that you can't sell. And do you always sell or sometimes do you hold? Uh, well, traditionally, I like to get planning and sell it on to a developer that only buys with planning right. because you can't access development funding unless it's got a planning mm-hmm. consent. Of course, yeah. So there's always going to be more buyers that want with planning than without. So that's our USP, we buy without. Um, so yeah, that's normally that's what I've done the last few years, but we're now starting to build again, hence the bungalow scheme. Go on then, um, tell us a bit more about the bungalows. So we, we bought 30 acres of countryside land in Poulton La Fylde, but 30 football pitches. Poulton La Fylde, I'm not sure what part of England you're from, Michelle, but it's northwest England on the Fylde coast in Lancashire, surrounded by fields and rolling hills. Well, that's what we say when we're selling it, right? <laughs> yeah. And it does. So we bought 30 acres off a farmer. Wow. Um, unconditional, which wow. is very rare for that size of transaction, yeah. knowing that planning is going to be really difficult. So when it's called countryside, it's the sort of land that cows graze on, okay. agricultural land, which has very, very 
minimal prospects for planning. Okay. Okay. But I knew we could get planning on part of it because my expertise and my team advised me accordingly. Okay. So we bought 30 acres and we split the site up into two. The first parcel, which we're going to talk about now is, we'll call it three acres. So 10% of the whole land holding. Okay. And we submitted an outline planning application. An outline planning application for the listeners means establishing residential use. The mm-hmm. principle of the residential use. It doesn't say it's got to be this design and this color and this type. Once you establish that use, you've swum the channel, I can assure you. Right. Particularly on these difficult sites. And was that, did you obtain that? At what stage did you get that? Okay, so we failed on the planning application, on the outline application, which I knew we would. This was a strategy. Right. To fail first and win the appeal. Okay. So we're now getting into very... A sophisticated property planning game. There are much easier wins, by the way, okay, <laughs> and much less costly wins. So we won the appeal. I knew that we would have good prospects at the appeal, and we're now building nine detached bungalows on this site with another 27 acres left okay. to get planning on at some point whilst I'm still able to work, I guess. Hopefully, it's not 30 years' time, right? <laughs> You know, so long probably term. in the me- right. me- medium to long, so yeah. two to ten years, oh, maybe, okay. right? Yeah. Five years, whatever. So we've built those to aim them at the private market, which is what we were talking about earlier, the open market, right. which is a worry to all developers now. Yeah. Are there enough buyers? What's demand like? Now, before Boris's lockdown in March, we thought the only buyers were people aged over 65, okay, okay, who are still shielding at home, lots of them. Mm. And now all I'm reading and hearing about is apparently if you're younger than that and you want to leave a town or city centre, you're apparently now looking at bungalows (laughs) because of the size of the gardens and surrounded Mm. by rolling fields and semi-rural locations and Poulton the Filed has got a booth supermarket, which is um, the Waitrose of the North, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, you know, with smoked cheeses and, you know, mature ribeye steak, all that stuff, which is a catch. So it's just outside Poulton the Filed, which is a very upmarket market town. So this is what I'm hearing. We've had to change the whole strategy. If we just focus on marketing to older people, we may struggle. But we're now going to focus to younger people because obviously there's been this whole thing about people that were stuck in the town centre during the lockdown have basically gone out of their minds. They found it really difficult with their tiny little Juliet balconies. Yeah. So everything's changed. So, so what does what does the exit strategy? Because obviously you know no one really predicted yeah. global pandemic. But um, do you have to have you know clear a number of clear exit strategies and if so what do they look like or is it pretty much 90% you're just going to bank on what you know what you've set out to do Um, so this will be a social media marketing campaign on these on this first phase of nine bungalows 
where we'll target specific demographics, which we've just talked about, mm -hmm. I guess 65 years old plus downsizers and the 35 year old couple that might never have kids because it's a bungalow, right? Mm -hmm. Or just looking to change their whole life and outlook. I think like we all have, right? Over the <laughs> yeah, last four months. So that's very specifically targeted, which I'm hoping bears fruit. Absolutely. So, you know, when we started, we started building these in January, the whole world looked great, Michelle. Yeah. Boris had got in. We're not going to get political, but yeah. we were apparently in for a period of economic stability. Yeah. Yeah. Brexit, no deal. And now look. Yeah, absolutely. It's Six months later, <laughs> it's all changed. It is, yeah. But, you know, I suppose we're all in the same boat with that, aren't we? It's just, like you say, pivoting and adapting to the new normal. Yeah. So, obviously, developing a site has a completely different skill set. Would you like me to go into that or should we just focus on the planning game? Um, you can touch on that part as well. Be great. Um, so, obviously, you, you get your planning permission which has cost you money and time. And all the while you've made this decision, you're going to build it. Okay. Yeah. So then you've got to learn how to raise development finance okay. and how to choose the right contractor to build it. And what type of construction method will you use timber frame plus traditional construction? What market you can raise the houses for? How big are they? What's the style? What is the housing need locally? You know, th this is a countryside site that doesn't have any utilities in it. It, it has no services. Yeah. So all that has to be pulled in. So suddenly you've got your planning consent and you cannot sit back and rest on your laurels. <laughs> you know, you have to be very clear in your strategy because if you're not, you will come unstuck. You know, do you want to sell the site with planning and someone else builds it? Or do you want to actually build it yourself? Do you decide that, be, so do you make the decision before, do you do all the research and say, okay, this is what it's going to cost for the utility companies, this is the yeah. our projected costs, or is it a case of see what you get approved through planning and then that changes the profits? And yeah, okay, so you're quite right about keeping it fluid. Okay. But if you keep it fluid too long, you'll come unstuck as well. Yeah. I guess you've probably got to have, and this is what you've, you've, you've mentioned a couple of times, you've got to have probably three strategies, mm. all costed, all planned, and knowing what each one means. So do you get the planning and sell it, strategy one? Do you get the planning, hold it, sell it in a year or two, strategy two? Or do you get the planning, so the outline consent only establishes the, re the residential use, You've then got to design it, which is option three. When you start designing it, you know that you're going to build it. And all those costs will come out during the option three process. Because designing it sounds simple, but I imagine the cost of the design at that stage on a 30-acre site or you yeah. know, really big site, it's going to be an, yeah, a, I mean, a big commitment. So, so obviously we haven't got planning on all of it because that yes. would be yeah. huge, okay? But on, even on the three acres, it's big because you're obviously bringing on board architects and the full team to design it and give you the pictures of what it's going to look like, the CGIs, right? What sort of ballpark um, figure would that be? Just to give people an idea. I'll because give I you a percentage. Yeah. Percentages is, is how we work. Right, okay. So when you look at 
the GDV, gross development value, let's say the, the total value of the sold units is three million pounds, we use that figure, then your cost of designing it could be anything between, so we're talking design only, we're not talking other costs, is between three and 4% of that. Right. That's 90 to 120,000 pounds. Yeah, I just wanted to, you know, highlight that because I think sometimes people don't appreciate how much that actually costs. Um, it, it, it's quite it's substantial. <laughs> it's extremely important. You know, that if we go into Selfridges and we're not going to window shop, right? And we've got a budget of £100, you might only get a T-shirt in the sale. Yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you start this process, you have to have the cash. You've got to have the money to fall back on or you could come unstuck again it always comes down to money well you have money you you know you put the money down to make money right so and that's exactly right else. correct yeah okay um okay anything else on that point there that you want to mention yeah i'll, I'll finish on the i'll talk about the bungalow scheme just just for another couple of minutes yeah. i think it's important that the listeners appreciate the risk you can undertake when you build something, but the rewards are great. So you, at this point, you've now borrowed money from a funder to build it, which comes with its own risk. But you know that you've bought the land and you own the land and you've got planning, so you know it's worth more. But once you start building it, you are committed. Unless you're lucky enough, someone comes along and says, that I'll buy it from you. You don't have to build it anymore. Or I'll just take it off your hands. But people don't really do that because they like to have their own contractors delivering it from beginning to end. Um, so yeah, this will be another five phases eventually across the rest of the site. But they will all need separate planning applications. So when you're in a small area, Michelle, and, and the listeners rather, the housing demand isn't that, it's not huge. This isn't London, it's not Manchester. The demand might only be 400 units a year in the whole borough. Right. So you could not deliver 100 houses in one go. There wouldn't be the demand for it. Right. Okay. Right. I see. So you have it's to do very, it in stages, right? It's a very important consideration. You probably won't get planning permission on all of it because the council will not look at giving a planning consent on a site that's too big, which goes old, which exceeds demand. Yeah, because I'd just be sitting there empty. But do you, Correct. in terms of like the utilities and the infrastructure, would you build that in as if you're doing thirty, but actually you do ten? Yeah, you know what, that, that's a fantastic question. In this case, no, because to build the infrastructure in to the rest of the site would be too expensive. Right. We haven't got the money to do that at this point. And remember, we don't know if we'll get planning on the rest of it. And if mm -hmm. we do, we don't know when. So that's potentially dead money yeah. if we were to do that. If we had planning on other parcels, that we knew we were going to build on for sure that's the strategy okay. right and so in the bungalows then do you how do you see that staging of of selling them do you see three at a time yeah that, you know part yeah part? okay so we, we we've we've built these three at a time right okay you've called that correctly so there's nine so there's there's three types right. of bungalow two bedroom true bungalows which is ground floor only and there are two types of three bedroom dormer bungalows which is the extra floor in a bungalow 
the roof space, you'd call it, which is a three bedroom, two bathroom. So you can have someone to stay. You've got a spare room, basically. Yeah. Once the show home is completed, people have to touch and feel it. Yeah. There's two types of development, three types. You've got the London or Manchester off-plan residential sales where you don't need to build it. You will build it eventually, but you go to Hong Kong, you go to Malaysia, and you sell the whole scheme off-plan to investors who buy it off a, off a plan right. and they reserve it. Then you've got the volume house builders, Barrett's, Red Row, Persimmon, Bellway, who are building two, 300 units at a time. Everyone knows their product. They'll do three or four show homes, but there'll be three or four types of houses. Right. For us, because of the product we're offering, which is a luxury product, people have got to see it and touch it. So we'll have it staged. Yep. The show home will be dressed and staged by a professional staging company who will dress it, all the rooms, in a way that's going to appeal to that market. And there'll be things like the smell of freshly baked bread. <laughs> Some coffee on the go. All that, correct. Yeah. <laughs> how do you um, yeah. decide what to build? So how did you know that the bungalows were the yeah. thing to build? Okay, that's a good question. Because there was too much of the other boring stuff right. around. When I say the boring stuff, the three bed box, yeah. three story house, I will reserve judgment on the quality of the build of other developers. But you know, the first time buy a product. Yeah. Okay. There was far too much of that. Yeah. If we'd gone for that, We'd, we'd have come unstuck again. you in competition with all of the other dealers. No, yeah. no one builds bungalows, Michelle. It's very yes, rare. True. And the reason is, everyone listening, the size of these plots, because we all know how wide a bungalow is, right? Yeah. And we all know the size of the gods, and they have a garage. You can fit two starter homes on one plot. That's why very few developers build bungalows in, on scale. They'll build a few. They'll tack a few at the end of a 200-unit development as a token gesture to older people. No one builds them. It's a very interesting market, particularly now. But the profit of building a bungalow wouldn't be, I imagine, the same as building two, three bed boxes. Yeah, so, but your bill costs are lower because you're building one floor. Right, okay. So, and you can charge a premium for the bungalow because no one builds them. Okay. And you're aiming at a wealthier market. Yeah. These won't go to a first-time buyer. Yeah. A first-time buyer won't have the money yeah. for them. Mm -hmm. these, these buyers will require very little bank funding, which is just as well because that's quite tricky at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so you build the first three. How long do you wait before the next three are up on the market? So it's, it's done in phases. So we used, we used timber frame, so modular construction, Let's talk about that for a couple of minutes yeah. because traditional construction is you put your foundation in. Most houses we live in, there's block, there's insulation, there's brick. When you look at timber frame, the frames are built off-site, bespoke to each dwelling. So there's three different types. There'll be three types of frame. There's three types of bungalow. And they're built off-site and craned in in a day 
And on the day that they're craned in and fixed onto the foundation, the rest of your team is available to start putting the insulation and brick. You're on site quicker, you're off site quicker, your delivery time is quicker, and your funding costs are lower because it's a speedier build. Yeah. So timber frame and modular construction is a thing. And mo most banks will accept a proper reputable product. So, so you can get, so in other words, you can get all nine on the go relatively quickly. Okay. You do three, you get the frame up. A few weeks later, you do the next three. A few weeks later, the next three. It's all staged. And the modular, is that the way you work with all your properties no, now? No, this is the first time I've ever done it. And I, I'm, I, I'm really taken with it. So you think you'll be using Just it going forward? A hundred percent. Just to go there and see a crane lifting on the frame of your house and it being fitted within a day mm. this is becoming increasingly common we in this country we are very archaic in a lot of the way we do business in our sector okay. and one of them is construction okay. when you look at europe sweden germany places like that they've been doing this for years yeah they just build stuff quicker well, it makes sense and it seems to be, sure. yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you just see it everywhere now. So, um, okay. So when do you anticipate the final all, all nine to be complete and sold? Um, okay. Let's start with when they'll be complete. Getting them sold is a different yeah. matter at the moment. The show home will be ready at the end of August. All nine will be completed the end of October. And I'm hoping the launch at the end of August will see us get some sales. Right. Who think, knows? Yeah. Who knows? Have you got like a target you're aiming for in terms of sales? Uh, on the show home weekend, I'd like to sell a third, so three of them. Yeah. I think that's a reasonable expectation. Okay. Have you done any sites where you haven't managed to get the planning? I'm thinking, worst case scenario, sure. what is, okay, no. you ended up being the farmer with the last sheep and everything. No, no. I mean, there are times where I thought it would fail and I've looked into how you breed Aberdeen Angus cows, right? <laughs> yeah. But no, you know, that's okay. why I've, I've set the business up as, you know, property planning gain on Instagram. There's a page. We know how to get planning and it, it can be complex, but... You just need to be around the right people. So how do you find these sites like for the bungalows, for example? How did you find it? Yeah, did you approach them directly? Um, that was from a local agent. Okay. They're typically, social media is a thing for us right now right. in terms of the platforms and engagement and getting eyes on the business because people that are under 30 use it, right? Yeah, of course. And if they've got a site with their dad owns or their granddad, and they see, look at these people. They're on all the platforms all the time. Give them a call. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's the way to it, do it. it. It's literally that simple, right? But, you know, obviously you have a network of connections I've built up yeah. over many, many years. Of course. So if people are listening and they, are, they have something in mind, um, will you look at, you know, anything? Or is there a... Um, application process is there a sort of screening okay so you're you're talking about the way that we screen a site 
So done on size. So if it's town centre, let's say it's Bury in northwest England or Ashford in Kent, mm -hmm. these are towns between one and two acres. That's the first criteria. Is there any planning on it that the current owner has got? If they have, I'm not interested. Okay. If it's a clean site, in other words, they haven't got planning, it goes to stage two, which is how many units can we get? Mm -hmm. What is the GDV across the proposed scheme? Let's say we say we could get 50 flats because the architects looked at 50 flats. How much is that worth when they're built? Gross development value. Very quickly, as one becomes more experienced in one's chosen profession, it takes no more than 48 hours to appraise a site for stage one. When it's gone through that, I'm at the point where I can start talking money with the landowner. You know, the actual site, because I would imagine that some sites don't have planning because people have either tried and failed or they don't see. So I, I have a site in mind, um, but the actual um, the, the layout of the site meant that it, would, it was very difficult to build on it. So it's sort yeah. of like, is that something that you would just discard immediately or? Yeah, correct. So that's a good point, Michelle. So we're talking about um, the levels of the land, the topography it's called. Yeah. It, you know, is it steep, is it undulating, whatever, correct? It needs to be flat. Okay. And brownfield sites have typically been light industrial. So very early on, stage one, if it's been a coal mine, it's not going to work. Because and the, the ground, like if, yeah, contamination. ground is contaminated. Yeah. A lot of these brownfield sites, the, the soil is so contaminated, they don't work financially anyway. So size of site, topography and levels of the land, and is it near a river? Because there's flood risk issues. A lot of these brownfield onto rivers because mills and light industry used water to transport their goods in the industrial revolution which is an interesting one so when you look at a mill or one of those textile sites it's more northwest england which was the home of the industrial revolution they're all next to water and you can't build too close to a river right okay right. which means you've got less land to build on so even if you're buying two acres you might only be able to build on one acre yeah. So you've got to look at that. Um, and is it a question of, you know, let's say you found a site, it was by a river where you could only build on half of it. Would you look to negotiate on the structure of the deal or the purchase sure. price? Or was it just not worth the hassle? There's easy ways to make money. Uh, I, think, I think one would be quite surprised at how many landowners know property. Okay. You know, everything's available. We've got a podcast today. Yeah. We've got magazines, everyone's an expert, right? But everyone thinks that their land is the most expensive. <laughs> True. <laughs> they own the most expensive blade of grass, right? <laughs> um, always negotiate, but it has to work for yeah. both parties. It has to be fair. It has to leave a sweet taste in the mouth of both parties. It's a very important part of how we do business at Carrington Group. It's got to be moral and ethical. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Um, I've got kind of one more question, but anything else on the bungalows before we wrap that up? No, I, I think we've, we've, we've covered planning, development, development funding, modular build, marketing, all of it. 
Okay. So as we speak, we're you know anticipating the news of the new planning rules and, and PD um, permitted development rights. What sort of changes do you think that we're going to see there? Um, a lot of people get caught up in these massive announcements by the government. They're like headline grabbers, mm. I call them. The devil is in the detail. So the 1st of August is the beginning of you can build on top of a block of flats if it's got a flat roof, otherwise you wouldn't better build it anyway, that are built between a certain period of time and you can go up a certain height. That's going to be very interesting. So if you own a small block of flats with 10 flats on that's built within the relevant criteria and you can design a scheme to go upwards in the heights within the permitted development criteria and the cost of getting that permitted development makes it financially worthwhile to either you could just sell the airspace right yeah or build it it's interesting i'm not sure how the retail change into residential will work on the high street i don't think that's very clear you know i live in manchester deansgate is the oxford street of manchester what are they going to suddenly turn deansgate into flats on ground floors yeah. uh, you know it's important that the character of an area remains. I think it's an interesting play, but it has to make money. It's not as easy as that. <laughs> it's it's really easy. Easy. easy, everyone will be doing it, right? Yes, exactly, Michelle, correct. <laughs> Great, okay. Well, um, I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. Uh, any other final comments from you? Or? Yeah, the final comment on anyone starting out in property planning game is keep it simple and stick with it. I think okay. that's the same with business in general. Surround yourself with the right people. Stick with the winners. Absolutely. Well, it's been really interesting having you on. Thank you very much for your time and sharing your journey with us. So um, all the best with the bungalows. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks, thanks for your time. Have a good day. Take care. Okay, bye. Right. For anybody listening who is not a current subscriber of YPN magazine, then please click the link in the show notes for your free copy. Until next time, guys. Bye.